0: Welcome to the Beautifully Balanced podcast. I'm Samantha Dinnage. Join me to explore holistic approaches to support your well-being in today's hectic world. Through each episode, my intention is to empower you to live your life with less stress and more joy and relaxation. I understand we are all unique and I invite you to take what resonates with you on your journey to feeling more vibrant from the inside out. My dream is to create a radiant ripple effect from each of us out into the world. Thank you so much for choosing to spend your time with me. Now let's dive in. Welcome back to the Beautifully Balanced podcast. Here today with me is Jason Shires. Hi Jason.
1: Hi Sam, nice to see you.
0: Hi nice to see you too. Jason is a certified psychotherapist and certified transformative coach who has been working with addictions and mental health for over 25 years. Jason you have a personal story of addiction and mental health struggles spanning four decades from both sides Mm -hmm. of the fence of being a service user and a professional. Can we dive in and find out more about this journey?
1: Yeah, um, i was gonna start like separating my story up into segments or something because there's so much of it, you know, and I never know what's really the most important to people. Um, I think like the key points was was the loss of my my dad as a young child, you know, and he was killed in an accident, and um, and my what I call an innocent attempt to cope with my experience was was using food. You know, it's kind of like food became my my reliable and confident friend. You know, it's kind of like it was consistent. It was always there. It always did the trick. You know, it's kind of like, so I, I indulged in compulsive eating. You know, that was my way of coping with grief, you know, unknowingly at five years old because I was, there was, pre-rational or cognitive reason of what had happened you know there was none of that there was just the just the feeling of loss I guess um so food was my was my friend for a while but then I I ballooned in weight so um because I ballooned in weight and I became further withdrawn I was talking about this the other day I just kind of remembered that my mum you know like this not like it was today if you think about it this was perhaps 1980. You know, it's kind of like you've got like a yellow pages if you want somebody and that's it, you know, and a, and a dial and a, and a phone with one of those uh, dials on it with the numbers, you know, and it's kind of like, so how do you find help? It's like today we just stick on Google. You know, it's not like that back then. It's like my mum, bless her, didn't know what to do. She was probably lost with me. So she picked up the yellow pages, I guess, and looked for where she might find help. And I ended up in the psychiatric system. Um at nine or ten years old and I've actually got it took me about a couple of years well perhaps less than a year to get the psychiatric reports of my own you know by applying for them because you can get do that in the British system apply for your own medical in full and uh, I did that and got all the psychiatric reports from that from the place and there was no mention of grief you know not one it was just kind of like I was withdrawn I was slow and um, I showed signs of being slightly retarded Um there was all sorts of stuff in there, but nothing about grief. you know. So I was medicated for depression and put on antidepressants. I don't think it was SSRIs back then. It was some other form, I know, whatever it was, some other form of antidepressant, uh, you know, 40 years ago. Um, you know, and I do have like a, a kind of memory loss from around that time. There's some certainly some gaps in my mind, and I don't know if that was relevant to the medication that I was put on but from there, it just went from bad to worse, you know, like I started committing crime as a, a really young child, you know, going out, uh, just doing crazy things, you know, damaging things. Uh, we lived near an airport. We used to go and throw stones at airplanes when they were about to land. You know, it's like anything that was just to uh, escape my my world as I saw it, you know. Um, and as I ballooned in weight, my mom took me to a, to a doctor. I got put on diet pills. Because apparently I had an eating disorder, and you know I was put on tenuate dospan, which anyone who was around at that time will remember those things, and they were like they were basically just they are just amphetamine. You know, it's kind of like that's it, that's what they are. So you know, as a young, perhaps twelve-year-old child, I was put on amphetamine to try and curb my appetite from the amount of food that I ate because that seemed like the problem. And you can see here, like even the manifestation of um, these problems you know I, I use for, for audio listeners I use like quotes you know it's kind of like because I don't see them as problems today but like back then it looked like there were problems to be solved actually no child knows they have an eating disorder no child knows that it's installed you know it's installed into them it's part of the it's part of the beliefs that, that are put into people you know so I believed I had an eating disorder that I was depressed I was on medication, and I had this psychiatric diagnosis and labels and so on, but it wasn't didn't come from me. Came from what I was told, you know. Um, so it just became another thing for me to escape from, you know, what was wrong with me. It's like it's added on, you know. It's like not only am I coping with grief, feeling alone, isolated, you know, I've got a lot of things going on in my body, you know, it's like I'm massively overweight, feeling isolated, withdrawn, and uh, I want to escape that you know, it's kind of, then I'm given more things that are wrong with me, you know, it's kind of like, I want to escape them too, it's like, and, and the, the, the identity that we carry in ourselves was what happened to me, I carried this identity that kept having new things wallpapered onto it that was wrong with him to fix it, so, you know, my life was like a, you know, I'd wake up every day with a lot of, uh, what I call the committee in my mind, my overthinking, you know, about myself and my life, you know, and I had to dig myself out of that hole every day. And I did that using, using anything I could, crime, uh, food, um, anything to escape myself, you know, chaos, craziness, just acting out in the worst possible way as a child. And it wasn't um, anything to do with lack of intelligence. Cause I went to a prestigious primary school uh, to a, a private school where I got a a uh, full scholarship you know it's kind of like so I was very intelligent but I was just outrageously in, uh, out of control as well at the same time so the two things are not mutually exclusive you know you're going to have both for sure um, and then I found drugs as a young teenager I found drugs and things went from bad to worse I guess on the outside you know if you're looking at it that way mm-hmm. um, and got back involved in crime and and you know and things got pretty chaotic with jails and psychiatric interventions and institutions and um, and my own internal world got worse and worse you know it's it's um it was it was really challenging to be me and to live in my own skin that was that was my difficulty you know and it's kind of like I would do anything to escape myself all I really wanted was oblivion so when the first time I ever took drugs it gave me an escape from myself I felt at peace I felt calm I felt everything went quiet inside of me that had been that had been at war you know ever since I started thinking you know so it was like oh god yeah thank god you know it's kind of like imagine imagine waking up every single day in pain suffering feeling sad feeling lonely for like years and years and years and then just taking a drug and all of a sudden it stops you know it's kind of like uh, we, A lot of us, probably listeners, perhaps yourself, and definitely may have experienced darkness, you know, it's kind of like, and that feels intense, but imagine just taking it away in a second, you know, it's kind of like, it's gone like that. So drugs for me were that, they were the solution, you know, they were the, the answer to all problems. So, oh my God, this is it. I found the answer to life. It's kind of, you know, no, no, you know, like I'm not going to stop why would I stop? You know, it's kind of like, cause it was, it was the solution to everything or so it seemed at the time. Drugs are only ever the solution. They're never the problem. You know, right? in the, in, in our traditional models, we, we pathologize normal human response to adversity. You know, it's kind of like, and then we actually create a problem and then we find a solution to it. You know, that's what the models do. Um, Nobody talks about normal human response to adversity. You know, if you've grown up as a young child and lost a parent, nobody, no one has helped you make sense of it. You know, and you're just left with inconsolable grief. You know, as a small child alone, it's kind of like you're going to find a way to cope. That's what we do as humans. With the the body mind is a self correcting system in every circumstance. You know, it's like it, it heals its own broken bones it heals its own skin it digests it the food that you put into it it works perfectly it keeps you alive for years and years and years everything is working you know it's kind of like yeah in the same way that if you suffer traumatic or adverse event it will find a way to cope by contracting or twisting and, and turning and and, and finding unhe- what's classed as unhealthy coping mechanisms in the in the psychological medical and psychiatric models but like the body doesn't know the difference between um unhealthy coping mechanisms and coping mechanisms you know there's no classification or moral values it just finds a way to cope so that's what i did you know i found a way to cope drugs food life escapism they were all the solutions to what was going on inside of me
0: yeah um
1: i mean the story goes on into the into my recovery and and change and stuff i don't know how much how much of it you more you want to hear you know i I ended up as a um, yeah maybe
0: i was just thinking from what you've said jason i was thinking if you were rewinding back to your your younger years and you know it sounds like you didn't find the labels very helpful you were given a lot of medication there was a lot of um interventions instead what do you think your younger self would have needed or wanted at that time
1: yeah it's not it's not difficult you know to think about it it's love and connection it's always love and connection you know it's always that's all there ever is you know it's kind of like it's it's a longing for love that's inside. A longing to be understood and to be seen and to be held, you know, and 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 just to be to allow to be myself. You know, it's kind of like because all these things, if you think about it, being taken to um to be to get help innocently, you know, it's kind of like I'm not I'm not saying any of it's malicious or any of it's unkind or anything, but like in a way the system is what I call iatrogenic, you know, it, it creates the very problem it sets out to solve because you're going to get help. Then the problem is classified. You're given a problem. It's kind of like but that instead of being seen, it's kind of like, you're, you're, you're almost told that you're broken. And then you take that on as part of your identity. You know, it's kind of like when really it's all just a longing for love and connection. You know, it's kind of, like, so you're further not accepted in the being taken to get help. You know, it's kind of like, Uh, someone else thinks there's something wrong with me. Someone else thinks I'm broken. Not only do I think I'm broken, but someone else does to the point where they want to force me into a getting help thing with someone else who also thinks I'm broken and that I need to be fixed. You know, it's kind of like, all all I really wanted was to be loved and accepted. But I, I also fully accept that, you know, the external manifestation of my internal condition was quite outrageous. So I was probably difficult to love, you know?
0: I was thinking as well as part of your what you've been saying do you feel like at any point during that time that people really looked at the root cause of some of your outward behavior and obviously some of the problems or labels that people um gave to you at any point do you think people really looked into the root cause of it?
1: No not at all I think that's one of the major things it's a good point you know and it's it's um we just kind of pathologize the, like i said the normal human response to adversity you know there's no look at the root cause like i said in all those psychiatric reports that i've got somewhere in my office back home there's no mention of grief you know there's perhaps 10 to 20 pages of different reports from different psychiatric units and things and places i was sent to even residential psychiatric places where there's no mention of grief you know and and it's quite bizarre as a professional today to think, because that's the first place I, you know, I want to I really know somebody, you know, and it's kind of like, and, and like pretty quickly for me as a professional, things fall into place about when somebody tells me, oh, this is what I'm struggling with. And then we start kind of looking, well, how, how's your life been? You know, how was your upbringing? And so on. the answers are all there. You know, it's kind of, they're always there. You know, it's kind of, it's the first place, but imagine as a professional writing a report and somebody, but not even mentioning as a five year old child losing a parent, you know, it's like it's such a massive impacting thing, and and never being a help to cope with the grief, you know, it's like yeah. I don't know really, it's kind of seems kind of crazy to me anyway.
0: It's such a significant event, things could have played out in a different way, couldn't they? For, for sure. So, if we fast forward a little bit. So you've yeah. been through through that journey. I'm sure you've learned many lessons along the way. It's yeah. obviously developed you into the wonderful person that you are, as you are here today in this current moment. What would you say has really helped your recovery?
1: It's It's been a, I call it an evolution, you know, it's kind of like, because... I became, I was the wounded healer. You know, I I, I did all my trainings in psychotherapy and counselling and different things, NLP and uh, different, you know, different um, psychological qualifications. Simply because I thought if I could learn them enough, it would help me. You know, if I learn them enough, it could help me. That was what I wanted because I wanted to experience joy, happiness, and peace, and I couldn't have any. Because after I gave up the drugs, when I went through rehab and I went to 12 Steps, I stopped taking drugs and alcohol. But every other, it was like a whack-a-mole addiction. So it was like my life was like that, um, dealing with um, toxic relationships, obsessions with the gym, performance enhancing drugs, crime while I was in recovery. You know, it's kind of like I'm training as a psychotherapist, like doing all this crazy stuff. Um, all trying to find peace of mind, joy and happiness and never experiencing it, you know, even after all those qualifications and all those years of working with people and going to groups and events and uh, meditations and spiritual things and cathartic experiences and cathartic releases. And, um, you know, I still, at, at the end of my trainings, well, it wasn't actually the end of my trainings, the end of my psychological trainings, which was 2004 15, I guess, about eight years ago, I just thought, you know, I'm, I'm not really happy. And, I, and come to think of it, I don't know any other therapists that are happy either. You know, it's kind of like really happy. It's kind of, because like, I knew people that talked about how great they were, but when you knew them behind the scenes and they told you the truth about their life, they weren't really happy. They were kind of up to no good like I was, you know. And um, so I always had this experience of seeking You know, and I would always say to somebody now, don't give up seeking, you know, if you have that longing inside of you, the longing is to for yourself, you know, the longing is to meet yourself, because the hardest thing we ever do is meet ourselves, you know, that is it, you know, and I always say two things, the hardest thing you'll ever do is meet yourself, and the heaviest thing you'll ever carry is the weight of your own thoughts, You know, and that was what it was. I carried the weight of my own thoughts about my broken and flawed self, you know, on a daily basis, no matter what qualifications I had, because those psychological qualifications, while there's an experiential component, in fact, a large experiential component to them, they're still primarily of the intellect, you know, like the theoretical learnings in psychological qualifications are primarily intellectual. You know, it's a framework to understand people while there's an attunement to people's emotional and mental state and their energy, you know, it's kind of like, depending on who you are, I mean, that's not like really part of the teaching. It's just part of, it's part of who you are. Um, It kind of misses a huge spiritual aspect of the human body mind system. You know, it's like, so I had this framework and theories, all these theories to understand people, which I did. I I could fit them into boxes and stuff, but I couldn't help them find the light switch. I didn't know where the light switch was myself. You know, it's kind of like I wasn't happy. I wasn't joyful. I wasn't content. I'd never experienced those things. I ended up, after all my searching, all my psychological stuff, I went through all of Tony Robbins' courses. I flew all over the world doing these uh, these uh, events with Tony Robbins, and I did the Hoffman process and the Landmark Forum and different um, sort of psycho-spiritual, if you want to call them that, you know, like experiences until I uh, had an experience where I went to LA and I, I met a, a guy that became my coach for a couple of years in my coaching training called Michael Neal and he was sharing the work of Sydney Banks called The Three Principles. Now I didn't know what that meant at that time you know I just thought that I knew a lot myself you know because I had a lot of letters after my name and a lot of qualifications and, um, and I went there and you know, I had an experience in in a in an instant. You know, it's like my life changed in an instant, and it and it had really been drilled into me the idea that change was hard, change was difficult, change took time, change took uh, courage. You know, and all these things. And sometimes that is involved. You know, it's like, but there is something to see that can happen spontaneously. You know, and I and I had a realization that. I'd been carrying this idea of myself as a flawed, broken, damaged individual that needed fixing, that that couldn't find the solutions to his own life in my own thoughts on a daily basis. I'd been thinking myself up, basically, you know, every single day. And I just thought, it's not true. I just saw through it all. It just looked like, like, a, like a videotape playing in my own mind that I didn't have to play. You know, and it was like, and it really was like the most blissful experience. I had two days of pure bliss just feeling at complete peace for the first time ever in my life where I'd kind of had this realisation that I was okay, that everything was going to be okay and that actually it had always been okay. You know, everything everything had happened in my life, uh, in, uh, looking in, in hindsight coincidentally, bringing me to where I was you know it made perfect sense now I didn't necessarily feel glad for the loss of my dad but I could feel I felt gratitude for the journey that it had sent me on you know and um from there my whole life changed I mean I remember stopping even in that that very same weekend emailing or uh, calling my therapist of seven years to say I no longer need therapy you know it's kind of like a I stopped going to 12-step meetings after 22 years. Um, My 40 years of eating disorder and psychiatric care ended, and that was it. They have never come back. You know, it's like, so it really was like a realization of true nature or, you know, as I might explain it today, or an awakening to the truth that I'm not, that none of us are flawed, damaged, broken individuals. You know, we're we're all living in a healthy mind-body system that's, um, guided by spiritual intelligence. Um, and I know that sounds kind of abstract to some people, you know, it's like, but if you start looking for it, you can see it, the evidence of it, you know, it's, it, it's, it's there. And uh, that's what I did. I started looking towards what was right with me rather than what was wrong with me, you know, and, and, and this revealed so much, you know, it revealed and changed so much about my life, about my practice, about my, experience but my relationships you know my my role as a parent all those things changed massively you know due to those and it really um baffled my mind for quite a while you know it's like to to be able to articulate this experience that I'd had or put it into words or even share it with people without feeling like I'm just talking complete nonsense you know well it sounds like a beautiful journey
0: thank you so much for for sharing your story with us and being so honest and open. I was wondering at this transformative moment that you had in LA, do you think you mentioned about love, connection, acceptance? I feel like a lot of these words link into compassion as well. Yeah. I was wondering, did you feel like you maybe had a heightened sense of those things within yourself to then enable you to have that
1: transformative moment I think like I'm softer with myself now I think we're always the most harsh with ourselves you know it's kind of like you know that's part of the human experience too and uh, I fall out of that from time to time I think what happened was was the relaxing of my mind in the moment what what enabled the transformative experience as I see it and as I teach it when I work with people today, is the relaxing of the intellectual mind. You know, I I turned up in that place with a lot of letters after my name and qualifications thinking I knew a lot about change. And Michael was very uh, soft and gentle and kind of accommodating and present, you know? And he said, have you ever, could you just be present? He said to me, and like in all the trainings I'd done years and years, I thought no one's ever asked me to be present. You know, what does that even mean to be present? It's like, so it's like, switching off my mind he said um, don't don't try to see if this like this is like something you know um, don't try to see if it's useful don't try and remember everything just so you can use it later and don't see if it's wrong or right, you know, because that's what the intellectual mind does. It wants to filter all this information because we live in this fast paced world to see if something's useful or not. And he said, just let that all go, you know. And I was like, okay, you know, I've never had that invitation before just to be present. So it was that relaxing of my trying to work it out because I needed to find the answers to fix myself, just allowing myself to be somewhere, you know, and just to see what happened that. Um, really helped me to see something beyond my thinking about myself.
0: I think, you know, I know I can get caught up with analysing things. Like you say, in today's world, it's is this going to be useful? Is it helpful? Is it a good um, place for me to spend my time kind of analysing Mm -hmm. things, making judgments of things? Whereas sometimes Mm -hmm. I think a lot of that can get in the way from just being in the experience as it is in that moment which can mm. offer a very beautiful experience if I allow it to
1: yeah well you I, I guess what I experienced was the love the love and understanding that was inside myself you know it's kind of like and that's why when I said early you know every, everything I was seeking was myself was inside myself it's not I was seeking it outside myself, innocently, because I just didn't know where to look. You know, it's kind of like but in in the willingness to relax and to just be with other people. You feel and experience the love that's within yourself. You know, it's like, and that is priceless. You know, that is what everyone is. Everyone in the world is seeking in 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 from destructive ways, drug addiction to to businessmen trying to make million dollar decisions and entrepreneurial decisions they're all doing it in seeking in seeking of happiness you know it's kind of like that's what it's all about that's what everyone is up to and mostly people don't know that it's actually an experience that's inside of them it's already there it's already possible now it doesn't have to come like it can't actually come later it can only come now and that's what that experience was it was being in the present moment being now you know being here now and getting to experience the love that's that was inside of me and in that, in return as well as that, you get to experience the love of other people, you know, because you get to see people without the filter, without the mind-based ideas, without the story that we carry of others, you know, it's like, that's all the things that show up.
0: Yeah, that sounds really beautiful. Thinking about you working with others, Jason, mm. and many different forms of addiction that I imagine that you see, What do you think are some of the most common forms of addiction from the people that you work with?
1: Everyone is addicted to something, I think, you know. And it's like, I I guess people that are really struggling with the more extreme things that are commonly classified, like gambling, pornography, sex, money, uh, drugs, alcohol, um, food. You know, it's like... Kind of know they have a problem usually you know it's kind of like oh they're, they're in that question about it but then there's also you know many people that are avoiding themselves because like I said the most challenging thing you'll ever do is meet yourself um many of the people are using mobile phones for example I mean who isn't addicted to their mobile phone you know it's kind of like who doesn't innocently wake up and start scrolling social media, you know, it's kind of like, and and pass half an hour watching reels or something. It's kind of like most people I know will put their hand up for that one. You know, it's like um, escapism comes in all sorts of ways. You know, everyone is innocently doing the best they can to escape the present moment and what's in the present moment themselves. You know, that's what's, that's what's happening. I think we've, just grown as a society and a culture, in you know, a generation in that way. It's kind of where technology has taken over and we've um, lost the human touch, you know, the human connection touch. It's like, so I, I don't get too caught up in what the process, what the behavior, what the substance is, because it's not really that relevant. In fact, if I work with somebody, I rarely talk about that, you know, and, and, and sometimes never talk about it. If someone comes for a food addiction or a gambling addiction, it's probably the last thing we talk about you know it's there's nothing to do with that you know nobody 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 ever woke up full of genuine joy and contentment for no good reason and decided that day to use crack cocaine it's kind of like it just doesn't work like that you know there's a internal dis-ease going on that drugs are the solution or drugs or processes or scrolling social media are the solution for you know it's like so if you help people experience more joy and contentment in their life, they don't really want to medicate anymore because they don't, they have everything that they need, you
0: know? Yeah, so I guess I'm just thinking, is pain then maybe the root cause of the addiction? But then to countermeasure that, it's finding ways to feel more joyful within your life.
1: Yeah, well, I guess I would describe addiction as an an innocent attempt to quieten the mind. You know, that's what I would say it is. The process, the behavior, the substance, the reaching for and the paraphernalia and the process of getting, you know, drug substances or whatever it is, is the bit that takes your mind off whatever it's on that isn't nice. You know, it's kind of like, and it could be mind-based beliefs. My life's not good. Don't like my life. Not happy. my relationships, breaking down. Whatever it is that you're struggling with could be related to, childhood trauma stuff that's in the body too you know it's kind of like experiences of tension stress things that are not necessarily seen in the mind you know it's kind of like that. just experienced in the body um uncomfortable feelings stuff like that I just when I'm on my own I just feel this tension or tightness in my chest or whatever it is you know and it's like because the body has become adept at avoiding too in the same way the mind has you know become adapt to kind of escaping whatever it's stressed or worried about or so on like the mobile phone for example or any. depending on how extreme you take it the body is the same too it finds ways to cope with emotions I mean so many times I sit with clients and I'll just go well how is your jaw tense or something and they relax their jaw and they'll start crying you know it's kind of like tears will come out and it's kind of like you can see that the body has just learned to hold emotion. You know, it's kind of like all, all the person persons learn to hold emotion by tensing the body in certain ways, tense shoulders, tense neck, even just doing this with your fingers, you know, it's kind of like ways of escaping. So all this stuff kind of plays out, you know, it's like that. that's really what addiction is. It's a way to escape yourself, you know. Yeah,
0: and if somebody was perhaps unsure if they had an addiction maybe the listeners are thinking okay yeah I scroll quite a lot on my phone I I keep I catch myself sometimes being on my phone more than normal in fact today at lunchtime made myself a nice lunch automatically started looking at my phone and I thought oh I needed a break my brain is already a bit overwhelmed a bit full I don't need to be taking in more information why am I not just enjoying my lunch and being in in this moment but um I forgot what I was going to ask you now. <laughs> I've gone yeah. up on a tangent. But, um, yeah. If I people
1: were think... struggling. You asked me if people were considering whether they had an addiction or not. I, I yeah. think, like, most... I mean, something becomes... Nobody, nobody else can tell you you've got an addiction. I don't even qualify or classify people who come to me as having an addiction. I don't even like the label, to be honest. It's kind of like... It's an innocent... Um, learned way of coping. I mean, that's kind of how I look at it. Now, you'll know, you know, your intuition will tell you, you know, it's kind of like if something is not right about something you're doing. And um, you might find yourself escaping um, using social media, perhaps is more the more common one for everyone, you know, and it's kind of like, no, I'm not saying that those people have an addiction, but it's up to them to say that, you know, it's if they say, hold on a minute, my children are constantly uh, calling out for me and all I'm doing is scrolling my phone, or my partner is sat on one end of the sofa, I'm sat on one the other end, we're both on mobile phones. Okay, maybe there's something, there's something more beautiful available for you by putting that down and learning to be with each other. You know, it's kind of like, or learning to tend to be with your children when they feel stressy to be with. You know, it's kind of like, there's always a, an opportunity to be more in your experience of being alive because at some point you're going to wake up and you're going to be older old older I don't like to classify age but you're going to think oh my god you know it's kind of like what did I do for the last 30 years you know it's kind of I've just been completely oblivious my kids have grown up all this is my my partner's left me whatever's happened has happened you know it's kind of like but I've been oblivious so it's it's all a calling, you know, it's all a calling to to come closer to love and come closer to yourself. All, all struggle is that, you know, it's really about the, the disconnection from love. And, and if you start to be more with your experience, be more with the people that are around you that you're close to, you're going to have a more loving experience of being alive, you know?
0: Yeah, and I work a lot with Ayurveda, the sister science to yoga. And that talks yeah. a lot about, love and how that can be the the boost to help balance out a lot of the mental strain and discomfort that that we experience so I can totally relate to to what you're saying through that lens and along with Mm. my own personal experiences
1: yeah
0: and when it comes to addiction do you think there's any link with addiction and anxiety
1: well, I think like if you're looking at like as we've been talking like, from uh, uh, an innate well-being or or um, looking at the mind-body as a self-correcting system, you know, then if you t- then you couldn't possibly say, well, anxiety is outside of that, and anxiety is a real medical thing, you know. It's kind of like you have to look at it from within the same scope. So, what is anxiety telling us? And for me, it's a love letter from the body. You know, it's like saying that you're 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 overthinking at the moment. You know, it's kind of like, and that's that's the alarm. You know, it's kind of like the 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 physical sensation, the the signs of the body, the sweaty palms, the uh, beating heart. You know, it's kind of like what happens to somebody in the expense of anxiety is is telling you. You know, it's kind of like you need to relax, you need to calm down. You know, it's like a, it's like an alarm from the body, and and it, again, it's like one of those things. It's like where the system becomes dysregulated, you know, the mind systems become dysregulated, perhaps overthinking, stress, worrying about the future and all this. I mean, th- th- there's a whole spiritual foundation in, in this, mis- in this, in this um, mental health misunderstanding that we haven't even gone into. But like when I think of myself as separate, like life is on me and I, I have to get this and that and all these things, like, cause that's how a lot of us feel that life is a, uh, at what I call an outside-in experience, I have to fix everything outside of me to be okay on the inside. But life isn't that. Life isn't inside-out experience. Everything we experience is is through perception. Is going on inside of us. Yeah. So anxiety is just the belief that I, as a separate being, need to do something, be somewhere, get something, fix something, be something other than what I am. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like the experience of the mind that is felt in the body. It's like, and that's what it is. It's a love letter. It's saying, hey. Stop doing that shit. You know, it's kind of like you're, you're, you're misusing your mind again. You know, there's nowhere to get to. There's nowhere to be. There's nothing to fix. You know, there never is. It's like, but we experience it as anxiety in the body. You know, that's the spiritual, more holistic or self-correcting mind-body way of looking at anxiety rather than where it's been pathologized into a problem and medicated or uh, even diagnosed, you know, as a, as a disorder, you know.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really um, great way of looking at it. Yeah. I know you've developed your own treatment programme, but it's known to be groundbreaking in its approach to mental health and addiction. Yeah. I was wondering if you could share with us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I think everything we've been talking about today is, is feeds into that, you know, because it is almost... Um, groundbreaking in the fields of kind of psychology, psychiatry, and the medical model. You know, it's like really saying that, um, in a way, you know, the whole, that those three places we typically go to to find help, either for the physical body or the mind or mental health, what's classified as mental health, you know, is like, um, is then medicated or, or pathologized, given a label and so on, and then fixed, you know, and it's kind of like, I call my work a model of health versus a model of illness. Everything is a model of illness. Here's what's wrong with me. Here's what's wrong with you, sorry, from the professional and here's, and I can help you fix it if you pay me enough. You know, it's kind of like that, that's the kind of way of the traditionally treated, but model of health really means like, let's see what's right with you rather than what's wrong with you. You know, it's kind of like, let's see how your own innate well-being is actually playing out in your life, but you don't actually even know that. Let's see. When you see, like, what's right with you, how that changes your your current um, symptoms, you know, and your current level of pathology, it's kind of like, and people start seeing, you know, I, I differentiate between mental illness and mental health. You know, I, mental illness is what we're taught, what's taught in the psychiatric system. Mental health to me, which is commonly misused, is... the the place inside of us that's perfect that's always been perfect that's always there that can't be damaged or broken you know you might call it the pilot light that's always on you know And and if you know where to look with somebody if you've experienced it for yourself you can see it in others it's quite easy to see it in others you know it's kind of like no matter how broken they think they are no matter how damaged they think they are or uh, cuz i had done my my list of uh, craziness was long you know and i was i was i was not i was on the fence for sure for a while until i started to see it myself um so really helping people to see that you know that that pilot light that's inside of them that once they start seeing what's right for them and they start they stop <laughs> creating that idea of themselves they stop seeing that the world is outside of them and see that the world is inside of them i mean that's the biggest misconception you know it's kind of like that life is this external journey where we have to get our ducks in a row and, and uh, get more status and more money and bigger houses and better relationships and more weight loss and all the things that people chase, you know, all of it is in service of happiness. Then if it is in service of happiness, seeing that life is happening inside of you and not outside of you means that you can experience everything you ever wanted now without changing anything, without a new job, without weight loss, without a bigger house, without any of those things. So it's really that internal, it's i call it psycho spiritual because everything's a psychological concept but it's pointing to a deeper truth you know it's pointing to a spiritual realization you know of who we are as human beings and how we how we live in this self correcting mind body system that's actually always working for us you know everything's always been working for us i mean i could see my own life has been somewhat tragic but i can see the beauty in everything that, that has happened you know in guiding me to to what i where I am today and and the gifts you know the gifts of all the suffering that I had you know are the gifts that keep on giving you know the the beautiful um relationship I have with my children you know the present father that i am you know the the importance and the values that I have you know all the derivatives of what has happened in the past you know my my work my passion for working with others my Connection to myself and love for others—all the derivatives of all the suffering. You know, it's kind of like they don't come about in any other way. You know, it's like that—that's that, it. So I can see everything, you know, as a as a beautiful experience, and that's kind of, you know, the fundamentals of of my uh, treatment program. You know, really sort of helping people see what's right with them versus what's wrong with them, and and also, I guess the The you know the unique parts of that that like that when you see something that's true about yourself, there's not a process to maintain it or uh, something you have to do to stay okay. You just realize you already are okay. You know it's kind of like it's yours forever. It's 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 an insight led learning. So people get to see about the truth of who they are versus they get given a practice that they need to do just to be okay, which is common in traditional treatment.
0: Yeah, I could definitely relate myself to finding the truth in who you are. I've had uh, terrible anxiety in the past. And I think like you've described um, during this episode, I was always looking to ensure that I was a good enough school teacher or a good enough wife or a good enough friend or trying to meet other people's expectations and I think a lot of those expectations were the thoughts that were going on in my mind and I just really Mm. lost sense of who on earth I was because I was so focused on the external factors and the external Mm. goals that I was almost to the point of why am I doing all of these things And whilst from the outside it might look like I was ticking a lot of the boxes and look like I'm successful, on the inside the experience was very different and I was really struggling and I wasn't happy, I wasn't peaceful, I certainly wasn't joyful. Mm -hmm. And I think when I took the time to start to rediscover who I was, and my own opinions, what I want, and think about what actually helps to make me feel good yeah. from the inside out, then that's really by being more in tune with that. I felt like a lot of my anxiety has started to melt away because I'm now less concerned about what other people are thinking about me or not wanting mm-hmm. to upset someone or do something wrong. And focus on being more true um to myself which is still an ongoing journey um, yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> but you know there's so many things that you've you've talked about in this episode that really um resonate with me and I hope they resonate for the for the listeners as well and I love your beautiful explanation about um working towards health <laughs> rather yeah. than you know the medical model that often looks at Um, fixing the problems and the symptoms once they've come up rather than actually how can we live this life um, with a bit more ease and creating, you know, preventative methods and having a sense of longevity um, around the lifestyle that that we're creating for ourselves and the choices um, that that we can have and that are available to us, which I know we were talking about before we hit record, have yes. sometimes we've built, you know in the past um you know it can seem like medication and you know the traditional medical models are the only way but there's so much more um out there that can really support our support our own health and our our well-being and it sounds like obviously your programs um are, are a path towards that as well
1: absolutely yeah yeah i love that
0: so, just thinking about a final question, Jason, which I yeah. asked all of the guests.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, thinking about your own well being, what helps you to stay balanced in today's ever busy, hectic world?
1: I think there's this knowing, you know, when I had my experience, there's this knowing of this place of that's okay within me, you know, and it's kind of like, and it, Overrides all experience, like right in the middle of being stressed or something, I can remember um that I'm okay. You know, it's kind of and it doesn't matter, nothing matters, you know, like there's nowhere to get to, there's nothing to do. There's always this like strong sense, um foundation, if you want, you know, like of of knowing this place of well-being within me, you know, and it's kind of like when you find that nothing can nothing can tumble you. You know, it's kind of, it doesn't mean you don't have experience. It doesn't mean you don't get stressed, it, it pissed off, angry, anything. It doesn't mean any of those things, but it means there's always this fundamental knowing that, Oh, I'm going to return to normal soon. You know, it's kind of like, this will pass. It's nothing, nothing matters. You know, it's kind of like nothing seems like a real problem, so to speak. You know, it's kind of like everything just gets resolved in the flow of life. And, um, it just means that you don't exacerbate your own stress and turn it into turn, turn it into um what's the word that thinking is always um catastrophic you know you don't you don't turn it into a catastrophe every single time you know yeah well, thank
0: you for sharing that tip with us
1: thank
0: you before we say goodbye is there anything yeah. you would like to add
1: No, I think it's been a beautiful conversation. And I just hope somebody, even one person, you know, could get something valuable out of it. And if so, that's good enough for me, you know.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much for spending your wonderful time and energy with us today.
1: Thank you, Sam. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Beautiful Balance podcast. Please press subscribe to be notified when the next episode is out every other Wednesday.